right, good evening. Good evening. Good to see you. Thank you for having Do I need to turn this away? Mm -mm. I don't. Okay, all right. Okay, all right. There we go. I did mine at our church a couple of weeks ago. When I turned it, it fell down through the, through the pulpit. So we had to move the pulpit, bring it back up. So anyway, well, let's go ahead and pray together, maybe. Our Father, as we gather tonight, We've already praised your name through song and through hymns. We've spoken to you in prayer and interceded on behalf of others. Father, I pray now that you, for our hearts and our minds, that as a result of us being here tonight, that we will have a desire, Father, to grow more and more in our daily walk with thee and in our sanctification. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here tonight, I knew, never assume, Father, that anyone that is in church is truly converted. Mm-hmm. And, Father, I pray that uh, if they're not truly converted, that as a result of being here tonight, that the Holy Spirit convict them, draw them unto yourself, and grant them the gift of repentance. Yes. But also, Father, I pray that all of us, Father, would have that desire to be more Christ-like in all that we say, do, think, our actions, our attitudes, our motives. That everything we do will bring greater praise and honor and glory to Thee. Mm-hmm. Be with us now as we open up Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you have them, which I hope you do, and let's go to Psalm chapter 1. And while you're turning there, I want to say, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me. And I was thrilled when your pastor, I guess it was about two or three weeks ago, he uh, shot me a message and said, hey, can you, uh, can you fill in for me on September the 11th? Well, I don't have plans to, to be out of state. Uh, so he, I said, well, I'm going to be out of town. He said, well, how about the 18th? I said, okay, I'm booked. Uh, so, so here I am. Uh, but a lot has happened in my family's life over the course of this year. Uh, we have a new, my wife is right over here, Sean. We celebrated our 33rd wedding anniversary this past week. And she has put up with this misfit now for 33 years. Uh, but uh, our youngest daughter, or young, our only daughter, but our youngest child got married March the 7th. Right. And is now living in Canton, Ohio. So a southern girl went up north to live. And married a good guy, youth pastor. Uh, pastors of church up there in Canton. And then we now are grandparents. Our son Bradley, him and his wife, had a had a baby boy Father's Day weekend. Uh, so our family has almost doubled uh, this year, and we thank the Lord for that. But once again, I want to say thank you for allowing me to be here. Your pastor is one of my dearest friends, and uh, I I appreciate his friendship uh, very much, and I'm very thankful. And good to see his wife here as well tonight. So thank you. All right. Well, Psalm chapter 1. You know, the Psalms, I encourage every believer to every day read a psalm. And if not an entire psalm, now, the longest chapter in the Bible is in the psalm. Anybody want to take a guess of what it is? Psalm 119. Now, I don't encourage you to read that whole psalm every day. Now, I know of one pastor who said that he did. Every day he read Psalm 119. I was like, good for you. 
All right? But, but I do encourage you to read at least a portion of a psalm every day. Because the, the psalms are such a wonderful book that gives us such peace and gives us such knowledge about the Lord. It has been called the Mount Everest of Scripture. The word psalms means the plucking of strings. And, and uh, as you sang a psalm tonight. So the, the whole entire book of psalms is basically a what? It's a hymnal. So many of the psalms, most of the psalms that were written were written with the idea to sing them in the, the synagogues or the temples during the days of Moses and even right up until the days of Christ and going to the early New Testament church. The Life Application Bible has Psalm 1 described as this. It has it described as life's two roads. The life of the faithful contrasted with the life of the faithless. I want to say that again just so you'll get a grasp of it. The life of the faithful is contrasted with the life of the faithless. Mm -hmm. And this psalm that we're going to look at tonight is also called a wisdom psalm because it is a great introduction psalm to the entire book of Psalms because it separates people into two categories. Mm -hmm. And you can't, there's no middle ground between these two categories. You are either righteous or you're unrighteous. Mm -hmm. You can't be righteous, a little bit of righteous, and have a little bit of unrighteousness. You can't be a middle grounder of have a little bit of righteousness here and then a whole lot of unrighteousness here. You are either a believer or you're an unbeliever. One or the other. So you are either righteous or you're unrighteous. The just and the unjust or the godly and the wicked. So let's go ahead and read this psalm, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to break it down verse by verse tonight. Is that okay with you tonight that we do that? Let's do it. All right, so let's look at it. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So first of all, I want to give you the first point tonight, and that is the character and condition of the godly. Okay, the character and condition of the godly. So let's go back and look at, let's look at verse 1, and I want to just kind of go step by step here, and verse by verse. Even as we go verse by verse, we're going to go section by section through this. So let's look back at verse 1, and... So once again, we're going to look at the character of the condition of the godly. So we're going to look at, first of all, what the godly man does not do. Okay, so what does a godly man not 
do. Matthew Henry said this. He said, a description of the godly man's spirit and by way by which we try ourselves. The Lord knows who are his by man, but we must know them by their character. The great basketball coach John Wooden said this, it is better to be a man of character than to be a man that is a character. My wife's a school teacher. Well, now she's a principal. She's the bad, she's the, you know, the one that, you know, when people are in trouble, they go to her. And she has characters that come to her office. Okay, one of them is me. Whenever I need some candy, I go to her office. I stop by and say, hey, baby, got any candy in here? I need some. But once again, we know Christians by their what? By their character. Either good character or bad character. So we're going to look here. Uh, note the term here of blessed is the what? Blessed is the man. The word blessed comes from the Hebrew word of asher, which means happiness or blessedness. It also means this, to be straight, to be consistent, not to be like this, but to be straight and be consistent or to be right. The great theologian pastor, Presbyterian pastor, James Montgomery Boyce, said this. He said, blessed means supremely happy or fulfilled. In fact, in Hebrew, the word is actually a plural, which denotes either a multiplicity of blessings or an intensification of them. Spurgeon said this. He said, it is not blessed is the king or blessed is the scholar or blessed is the rich, but blessed is the man. The blessedness is, an attain, is as attainable by the poor, the forgotten, the obscure, as by those whose names figure in history and are trumpeted by fame. So what does the godly man not do? Well, first thing is this. He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now let's look back at verse 1 once again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The word counsel simply means advice or purpose. See, the godly man knows how to discern ungodly counsel from godly counsel. He knows that the origin of ungodly counsel comes from man's sinful and depraved nature and the, influ and the influence of Satan. So where does he find godly counsel? You have one in your lap. Mm -hmm. You're looking at one. Not up here, but in your lap. What is that called? God's Word. So I want you to keep your finger here in Psalms 1. Now I want you to go to the New Testament. I want you to go to James chapter 3. Right after the book of Hebrews is James. James 3. We're going to read verses 13 through 18. Is 9 o'clock okay tonight? <laughs> uh -huh. Okay, James chapter 3, let's begin reading verse, verse 13. So follow along with me. It says, Who is wise and who is understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct. There we have 
character. Let him show by his good conduct. We could, we could also put in there by his character. That his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first. Look at how it's described here. It is first. What's that, what's that word? Pure. pure. That word pure means it has no contamination. It is pure. The next description. It is then peaceable. It is gentle. It is willing to yield. It is full of mercy and good fruits. What did Christ say? By your fruit you shall what? Know them. Without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The psalmist also said in Psalm 119 verse 24, Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my advisors. So what does he not do? First thing is this, he does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Second thing is this, he does not stand in the paths of sinners. He does not stand in the paths of sinners. I tell teenagers this all the time. I say, you will be what you read, what you watch, and who you hang around with. That is what you will become. You will become what you read. You will become what you watch. And you will become who you hang around with. So if you want to turn out to be rotten, then read rotten things. If you want to turn out to, to be a, a rotten, depraved sinner, then read things that will make you that way. Hopefully you don't want to turn out that way. But if you want to live a godly life, you will watch what you read, you will watch what you watch, and you will watch who you hang out with. And that just doesn't apply to teenagers, it applies to adults as well. Amen. So it does not stand in the paths of sinners. That, that word path simply means this, it means a way, it means direction, it means journey, it means manner. So let me break it down for you. The godly does not travel in the same direction as the ungodly. He does not walk with those that are ungodly. Now, does that mean that we need to be unkind to them? Of course not. Does it mean that we need to shun them? Of course not. But it does not, but it does not mean that we should make them our best friends. The godly man will travel the road less traveled. In other words, they are not afraid to do the hard right. It is always easier to do wrong than it is to do right. It's always easy to do wrong. But it's hard to do what is right. And the godly man has the confidence of knowing and living out the truth of God's 
word. Psalm, 1, 6, Psalm 16, 11, you will make known to me the way of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. And then there's a third thing he does not do. He does not sit in the seat of the scornful. What is a scorner? A scorner is a person that is arrogant, proud. A few years ago, in fact, I think it was, I was with your pastor at a conference. And there was a gentleman that got up and he, he spoke at his conference. And his arrogance, in fact, my wife went with, to me two years after that. And we both had the same vibes about this pastor. Got up, very large mega church in Texas area, and both of us got the same vibes. Very negative. Just, you know, we both afterwards said, I, I said, did you, did you sense some arrogance there? And she said, Oh, yeah, I did. And when my wife confirms to me, because my wife has pretty good discernment. And when she told me, she said, oh, yeah, he is very arrogant. I said, yeah. I said, there's just something that doesn't sit well with him. Well, recently he had to step down. His arrogance finally caught up with him. He had to step down from the pulpit. Why? Because his arrogance. He thought and he felt in his life that he was too arrogant for God. To scornful, to scorn, or to make a mouth at, or to talk and act arrogantly. That is what a godly man does not do. So what does he do? Well, let's look at verse 2. This is what a godly man does do. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. That is what a godly man does do. He finds his joy where? In God's word. He meditates on God's word. Let's go back to that joy for a moment. What do most people do try to find their joy in? Things. Relationships. Social media. Money. Jobs. You name it. Other than what? Spiritual things. How long does that joy last? And the things, first time they have to take that, that car to the repair shop, that joy is gone. When that promotion, when they don't get that promotion that they feel like they should get, get that joy is gone. Then they're going to another job. They bounce from job to job to job to job to job. Why? They can't find joy in that job. They bounce from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. Why? They're always seeking joy and never finding true joy because they are not finding it where they should be finding it. So he finds his joy in God's word. Secondly, he meditates on God's word. What does it mean to meditate? It means to ponder on it. It means to think about it. It means to dwell on it. That word meditate, it, it, it's, you know, we, 
We have, we have allowed the secular culture to take true, good, godly, biblical terms and distort them. The word meditate is a very good spiritual word. It comes from the cow. You say, where does it come from a cow? You ever heard of a, chew, uh, of a cow chewing his cud? Okay, a, a cow will eat, swallow. Now, I know this sounds gross. They will regurgitate it. Then they will chew it more. They swallow it down to another stomach. How many stomachs does a cow have? Anybody know? Four? I thought so. Okay. Then he regurgitates it, chews it some more. He does that four times. What is he doing? He is enjoying that food. That is the same principle with meditating on God's word. You just don't read it and forget about it. You read it, you reread it, you reread it, and you reread it again. You don't stop reading it. And you're not going to grow in your spiritual walk through osmosis. You can't take your Bible and stick it underneath your pillow and hope that the words will somehow soak through the pillow into your head. You have got to read it. You have got to study it. You have got to meditate upon it. And that is exactly what the psalmist is saying here. He is saying you have got to ponder on it. You've got to think about it. You've got to dwell on it. You've got to allow it to sink in through your mind. And when it goes into your mind, where does it end up? It ends up in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. For as a man thinks within himself, so what is he? Now, I don't know what you're thinking tonight. You could be sitting there at your seat looking at me and smiling and nodding your head, but your mind is far away from here. You'd be thinking about job, your, your work tomorrow. You'd be thinking about what you're going to have for dinner on the way home tonight. But as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So let's look at the third or verse three. And that is how is the godly man blessed. What is the results? This is mine, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to steal your part. So how is, how is the godly being blessed? Let's look at verse 3. He shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. So let's break it down. First thing is this. It's like a tree that is fed with a continual source of water. How many of you ever go down the trail here? Anybody? Go walking, running? I used to run it quite a bit. I've gotten lazy. I just do my neighborhood now. But when you get to a certain point on the trail up here, you get pretty close to the Cape Fear River. And I remember when Matthew went through a few years back. It was a wreck. A lot of trees down. 
They had actually had to close portion of it off because the Kafir River had had come up on the trail, and it was just a just a big mud hole. They had to clear off all the trees, had to clear out all the mud. But there was one thing I noticed, and, and I, in fact, this verse came to my mind as I was going through that area on a run. The trees that did not fall down were the ones whose roots were deepest in the ground by the river. Why? Because their roots were being constantly fed by water. Mm-hmm. And they were going deeper and deeper and deeper. And the trees were stronger and stronger. Why? They were being constantly fed by the, by the, the water source of the Cape Fear River. So they're strong. They're stable. A person who is constantly meditating on God's word. A person who is constantly watching who his friends are. A person who is constantly watching the things that come in and out of his life is a person that is strong. They are spiritually strong. They are emotionally strong. They are mentally strong. They are spiritually stable. They are not going from church to church to church to church to church. From relationship to relationship to relationship. From job to job to job to job to job. Why? Because God's word makes them strong. God's word makes them stable. Next thing is this. He bears forth good fruit. Now what is fruit? What is the fruit in the believer? It's love. It's joy. Listen, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been around a lot of so-called Christians that profess to be Christians. I have no doubt they're Christians. But I don't want to hang around them. Mm-hmm. Because they have no joy. Not exhibiting love. I want to be around people that are joyful. I want to be around people that have love. That's why I love being around your pastor. He, he is a man of joy. Okay, So love, joy, peace, goodness, long-suffering, gentleness, faith. Now, I see y'all looking at his wife thinking, is he talking about the same guy? (laughs) But those are things that are evident in the life of a believer. And that is they have love. What did Christ say? That that people will know you are my disciples by what? By how you love one another. You have love. You have joy. You have peace. You have long-suffering, which means you're patient. I think I lost that one. (laughs) Especially when my kids were little and we got in the McDonald's drive-thru. Okay, kids, you got, we're going to McDonald's. I'm going through the drive-thru. You better tell me right now what you want. (laughs) And if we get there and you don't haven't made up your mind yet, then I'm going to order filet of fish. And you're not going to like it. Okay, patience, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Against such there is no law. So you bear forth good fruit. They are spiritually alive. They're not spiritually dead. They're spiritually alive. They're spiritually healthy. They're spiritually well. Now, when it says here that whatever he does shall prosper, that's not talking about just wealth. 
That's talking about spiritual wealth. That you are spiritually wealthy. So spiritual life is a prosperous life. And it's a life that everyone notices. That his life, spiritual life, is prosperous. Now let's go to verses 4 and 5. And here we're going to see a description of the opposite. We're going to see a description of the doom of the ungodly. The doom of the ungodly. So once again, let's read verses 4 and 5. The ungodly are not so. They are the complete opposite. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. For the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So let's break it down. The ungodly will live a life opposite from the godly. That's pretty simple, right? Mm -hmm. So in other words, where a spiritually godly person is strong, the ungodly is weak. Where a godly man is stable, an ungodly man is unstable. Where a godly man bears forth good fruit, the ungodly man bears forth bad fruit. You will bear bear fruit. Whether that fruit be good or whether it be bad, you will bear fruit. So let me ask this question. What kind of fruit are you bearing? Are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit Or are you bearing fruit of the flesh? They're spiritually dead. They live a life of desperation. They live a life of defeat. And they are always searching for happiness. The ungodly life is a a life that is worthless. Because it is described here as chaff. What is chaff? Chaff is the outer shell of the corn. It is unsubstantial. It is worthless. It has no value. It is easily swayed. It is easily blown away. Listen to what the Apostle Paul told the the church of Ephesus. He said, as a result, we are no longer to be children or spiritually immature, spiritual babes, tossed here and there by waves and Carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. That is the ungodly. The ungodly is the person that is tricked by ungodly people. By charlatans. That profess to be Christian, but in fact they're not. They're the ones that are sitting in the congregations of the prosperity gospel. They're the ones that are sitting in the congregations of charlatans such as T.D. Jakes. And charlatans such as Creffler Dollar. Because they take scripture totally out of context to appeal to the physical rather than to the spiritual. So the ungodly lives a life 
that is worthless. So now let's look at verse 6. And let's look at the future of the, of the godly and the ungodly. So first we looked at the godly man. Then we looked at the ungodly man. Now let's look at their future. What is the future of the godly and the ungodly? Well, verse 6 says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. So God gets the glory, first of all, God gets the glory for the life of the godly. Right? Let's look at verse 6 once again. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. So who gets the glory? God gets the glory. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the what? The glory of God. Who gets the glory? God gets the glory. So Matthew Henry said this also. He said, God must have all the glory of the prosperity and happiness of the righteous. They are blessed because the Lord knows their way. He chose them into it, inclined them to choose it, leads it and guides them in it, and orders all their steps. But then sinners will take all the blame for their destruction. Okay, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. That word perish means to vanish. It means to go astray. It means to be destroyed. It means to be exterminated. But let me explain that exterminate a little bit deeper. It means to be exterminated by divine judgment. So which one do you want? Think about it. Do you want that the Lord knows the way of the righteous? Or the way of the ungodly shall perish? So let me give you three questions to think about. First one is this. Are you living the life and character of one described as godly? I gave you that description. God's word gives you the description. How do we know it? And once again, God knows your heart. God judges you by what's in your heart. Man judges you by your character. Man judges you by your fruit. I work a little part-time job, a little place called Chick-fil-A. Anybody heard of it? Okay. Worked there a couple mornings a week. And there's a young man there, young male. He is a homosexual. He is going through the transition. But a very kind person. Very kind. He's very respectful to me. He knows what I do. I don't hide it. But recently... A well-known pastor, and if I mention his name, everyone in this room would know him. well-known pastor walked in and asked for ice in his tea. And I was at the register. I turned around, and I said, hey, to him. And he said, hey, how are you? I said, good. How are you doing? He said, fine. Well, this 
young man walked over to him, said, can I help you? He said, I want more ice. So he got more ice in his tea. He walked back over and handed it to him. He said, I want more ice. And I caught it. I didn't say anything, but I caught it. And the way he said it was so rude and unkind because he has an issue with males that are homosexual. And he walked out, and I turned around to that man, and I said, I just want you to know I'm sorry. He said, Mr. Duane, I know you're not like him. You're kind. You treat me with respect, and I appreciate that. I said, don't think that all professing Christians are mean like he was. He said, thank you for being kind. Now listen, I've known that young boy he was about 19. I've known him now for almost a year. Every amount of witness that I've tried to do to that young, that young male could have been easily destroyed in 30 seconds by how that pastor responded. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. By your fruit, people will know you of love, of joy. Let me ask you a question. Who did Christ oppose the most? <laughs> the religious. The religious. Not the sinner. When he went to Matthew, who is the most despicable of the twelve, mm -hmm. a thief, an extortioner, the Romans didn't trust him because they, because they knew what kind of character they had. The Jews didn't trust him because they stole from their own people. They were so untrusted they were not allowed to testify in court and were not allowed to go to the synagogue to worship. They were outcasts. They were misfits. Christ walked by and said, follow me. <laughs> what did Matthew do? Well, let me think about it. <laughs> I got all these books I'm trying to cook. I've got all these Jews I'm trying to steal from. Let me think about that thing. No, he immediately got up and did what? Followed him. And then where did Christ go to eat? With him. And who else? Publicans. And who else? Sinners. Now when he walked into Matthew's house and he said, you bunch of misfits. How dare you? No, he said that to the religious of how dare you. And he said it to their faces. By your fruit, people will know you.
So you're living a life in character of one that can be described as godly, of Christ-like. Secondly, are you living, instead of a life of one that can be described as godly, are you living a life of doom? Are you living a life of damnation? That you will perish forever and ever and ever. Without God, you will be separated from God forever in a place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. And are you aware of your future? Are you aware of it? And once again, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let's pray together, maybe. Our Father, we are very thankful for your word. Very thankful, Father, that you are always working. As you're always working in our hearts and our lives. That, Father, you love us so much. You give us things that we never deserve. We all deserve hell. But in your graciousness and your goodness and your love, you call us unto yourself for salvation and spiritual growth. And now, Father, as we have looked at this very simple psalm, but there is so much truth that is in this psalm. Father, I pray that is there any areas in our life that we need to be convicted of. We need to repent and turn from. I pray, Father, that you give us that gift of repentance. And that we turn from it. Help us to bear good fruit. Enable us through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to live a life of good fruit of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith. Help us to be kind people. Help us to be good people. Help us live a life of faith. So that when those that are lost, whether it be a coworker, whether it be a neighbor, whether it be a friend or relative, that when they encounter us, that they will see that we are different. They will know that we are different by the way that we live. But also, Lord, they would want what we want. Because we are different. Because we have Jesus living within our hearts and our lives. And we are sold out for Christ. And we are walking in spiritual walk dedicated to the Lordship of Christ. And may each and every day, may we dedicate ourselves in repentance and belief of the gospel. And help us, Father, to grow and become more Christ-like. May people know us by our fruit. In the mighty name of